Be seated. You know, many times you read through this and, you know, it just speaks just specifically on the subject matter of money and it being the root of all evil. And I really began to think about our faith when I read this. And I thought about our faith as what the Lord uses to help us grow. And often it's used to draw others to himself. And so our faith can be seen by others. What we say, what we do, how we behave, how we respond. And I just want you to think about this tonight. Consider your own faith tonight. Just think about your faith. I'm not talking about your neighbors or what your mom and dad taught you. I'm not talking about uh, what someone else has taught you. I'm talking about you, your word of God that you have in your hand, your relationship with him, your time alone, your prayer time, your faith in Christ Jesus. And I, I just want you to be honest with yourself and with the Lord. And you ask yourself this question. Just think about this for just a moment. Do you believe in your heart that you could really be more faithful to your Savior in this life? Do you really believe that you could be more faithful to your Savior in this life? I'm not talking about doing and uh, taking action in that manner. I'm just talking about faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the cause of wandering from faith is yielding to doubt and fear. I believe that happens to all of us. We all fall into that trap from time to time where we begin to doubt and we begin to have fear enter into our lives. And fear is not faith. It's the opposite of faith. And so as we think about this, I, I think about how that doubt and that fear leads to a life that does not trust the Lord as we should through faith. And, and God wants us to trust him by faith. And, you know, I think when our faith really shows its strength is when we're under pressure. When things aren't going great, would you agree with that? When things are going well, it's easy to say, well, faith is easy because things are going great. It's times when things aren't going as well as they should or what you think should be happening. And, and our faith really comes to the surface then. And Timothy is given instructions by Paul about what causes man to drift away from their faith in Christ. And I think it's a warning to all of us. And he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you a little bit about what causes us to wander from our faith. Now, we focus on the money, but I want you to listen to what God has to really share with us. And, and here's the challenge for you tonight. Would you search your heart and ask the Lord, Father... Is my faith a wandering faith, or is it solid? Now, you say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about just our faith in Christ alone, but do I wander around trying to find answers outside of this for everything else that goes on in my life? Do I do that? Am I looking to someone, some philosopher, some book, some thing other than Christ to help me come up with the answers? The Bible clearly says if any of you lack wisdom, do what? To let him ask of whom? God, who giveth all men liberally and abradeth not, it shall be given him. God teaches us some things in the scriptures and he tells us, he tells us that he has given us a comforter and he will bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever he has said unto us. If I don't know what he said, how can he bring it to my remembrance? So how am I going to know what Christ said unless I'm in what? The word. There's no way to know what he said unless I'm in it. Now, to hear someone preach it, you say, well, that was good or that was bad or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your personal faith, your time alone with God. Here's the challenge. I want you to think about this. Father, is my faith a wandering faith at times? Is it only applicable to other people when things are going wrong for them? I can handle it and I can teach them what they're supposed to do. But Lord, when I'm going through it, mm -mm. I don't want to handle it that way. <laughs> I want to do it through my own philosophies. Now, here's the thing to consider. There are many ways that we can drift away from our faith, but the key to all of this here is having our focus on the material and not the spiritual. And he starts talking about how we can get our minds so focused on material things that we forget the spiritual. 
And it causes us to drift away or to err from our faith is the word that he uses. And so you'll find yourself drifting in your faith when the matter of materialism takes precedence over your spiritual growth. When materialism starts to take over your spiritual growth, you'll find that you're not growing spiritually because you don't give the time necessary to the Lord for him to help you to grow spiritually. And I think there's some warnings here, and he's using a cause and effect kind of a situation here. When you go through these verses, he's saying, here's the cause, here's the effect. Now, one of the warnings is, is hey, listen, if you're going to be content, you've got to have godliness in your life. Isn't that what he tells us? That's really the warning. He said godliness and contentment go hand in hand. He said, but godliness with contentment is great what? Gain. He tells us there's gain in that. So the warning is to us, if I'm not content, guess what might be absent from my life? You can say it out loud. It's okay. It's in the Bible. Godliness might be absent from my life if I'm not what? Content. If I'm not content, godliness might not be present in my life. That's kind of a warning to us, isn't it? And so then he not only does that, but he talks about wealth and temptation. And he tells us, hey, listen, having the basic necessities of life is the most important. He said, but they that will be rich fall into temptation. And wealth can lead to what? Temptation. Wealth can lead to temptation. Now he does tell us this, and you say, well, wait, give me it for a while, and let me, let, me, let me work through this a little bit. Just give me a bunch of it, and let me figure it out. And really, money doesn't solve our problems, does it? It can add to the problems that we have at times. And so he says this, and I want you to get a hold of this. He said, which, well, some coveted after. What did they cover that after? They coveted after money. Now, here's what happened to them. They erred from the faith, and listen to this, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, with great monetary gain, without the right mindset, can bring sorrow to the home, can bring sorrow to the heart. And you say, give it to me for a while. I had a cousin like that one time. She said, well, let me have it for a while, and I'll let you know. And I want to tell you, God is the one that supplies, amen? He gives, and he can supply monetarily. He can give us things materially, but if we don't know how to handle it. Now, he's not here right now, and we support Jehovah Jireh Ministries, and Brother Jim Bossy, I am not certain that he's not a billionaire. I, I'm not sure. But I know in the years that I've known him, he's given away $23 million to build local New Testament churches in the time I've been with him. And I say he gave it away, but here's his opinion of it. He has a heart of humility, and when you talk to him, he says, it's not mine, it's God's. God gave me that shopping center, and he gave it to me so that I could set up this trust so that we could build more churches across the world. It's not his. When we go into those meetings, and sometimes we're sitting in those meetings, and we have this advisory board sitting there, he doesn't say, this is what we'll do. He sits there and listens to what we'll do. And I'm amused by it almost because I'm sitting there thinking, did you not purchase the shopping center? Did you not set up the trust? Did you not do these things, Jim? And he said, yes, but it's not mine. It's God's. And he continues to give it away. Now I want to share something with you. The more he gives away, I have watched this ministry grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, not just monetarily, but the people getting behind it and supporting it. Why am I sharing that story with you? Because I believe God knew that he could give that money to Jim Bossy. He knew Jim was going to do the right thing with the money. <laughs> he knew he wasn't going to consume it upon his own lust. 
And Jim has put together a brochure. I can't wait till we get it. But he talks about when people receive an inheritance from other family members. And when they receive that inheritance, the first thing they do is they either go buy a house, go buy a car, go buy a boat, take a vacation, do things with the money that otherwise the other person didn't do. And they gave it to them and then they blow the money. <laughs> Never really thinking what portion of that belongs to God. Now, the challenge for us tonight is this. There's some warnings that come through here. Godliness and contentment. Wealth and temptation. Money and sorrows. And I just want you to think about Paul writing this letter to Timothy. And Timothy's purpose for receiving this letter was to bring it not to the world, but to the church. He was to bring it to the church. And tell them this message. Now, we've been covering the foundations of the local New Testament church. And Paul's now giving some very practical biblical principles to follow so that you remain stable in your faith. And he provides Timothy with this information to read to the church. So the people are receiving this. And he says, godliness affects our contentment. Godliness affects our contentment. And when you have a godly spirit, a godly attitude, it will bring great gain to your life because you'll become content with what you have. Discontentment comes through covetousness, does it not? We look at what others have or what others possess or what may be out there, and we always think the grass is always greener on the other side. Anybody with me? But guess what? You still got to mow the lawn, right? You get to the other side, you still got to mow the lawn. And the thing of it is, is I've watched people move in and out of marriages in their life, and they've gone from one spouse to another spouse, and they always think the next spouse is going to be the better spouse, and then she still turns to him and says, Honey, can you take out the trash? It still happens, doesn't it? And the thing of it is, is we're always looking at what we don't have rather than what we do possess. Do you know that's not godliness? Looking at what others have and desiring and coveting or wanting or seeing that, that's not, that is not contentment. That's covetousness. So godliness affects our contentment. And when our focus is on the world and what we can obtain, God reminds us it is not going to go well for us when we focus on personal gain all the time. Personal gain. Now, therefore, I believe this. Strive to be a godly person. What does it mean to be godly? Well, I think about it this way, and let me just kind of simplify it a little bit because we can talk about the details of it. But I try to look at things and I say, what's the eternal benefit to this? Anybody with me on that one? I think godliness has to do with eternal benefits. What's the eternal benefit to this? And I look at it and I'm saying, do I have to question whether I should witness to somebody? Is it good to witness to people? Is it good to witness to people? Do I have to question God? Does it have some value? And listen, the idea is, is why not just do it? Amen? Because it comes with great gain. And knowing that, and you are not so concerned about, I wonder what they'll think about me. How many of us have been there? Admit it, right? I wonder what they'll think about me when I try to share the gospel with them. <laughs> There's one of those nutcases, one of those, they probably go to Calvary over there. That's probably where they go, right? That's, that's a, and we think all kinds, how many of you are with me? We think all kinds of thoughts. And the devil goes, yep, that's exactly what they're thinking. They're, look at how they're looking at you right now. And the way they're looking at you right now should let you know, mm -mm 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 -mm. don't do that. And the reality is, is that none of that's true, is it? And how many doors have you knocked on and then all of a sudden God break down the barrier and you get to win that soul to Christ, Amen. It's an amazing thought. 
Godliness with contentment. Let me share this thought with you. The basic necessities of life should bring contentment. However, the ways of this world have taught us not to be satisfied and to have a heart of discontentment. I said to my wife the other day, I said, you know, if I was just a single guy, you know, I really believe this with all my heart. Chris, Jim, no doubt in my mind. If I had just a single burner and I could buy cans of beans, by the way, I love beans. So it doesn't matter what it is. It could be lima or whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Or beans in this area. And uh, I'm teasing. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And uh, but anyway, but the thing of it is, is, and eat and be satisfied. I don't even have to have a colored television. I could live in black and white. Amen. You know, the most amazing thing was when Emily was little. She asked me. She said, "Daddy, when you were little, was everything in black and white?" Like the whole world, was it in black and white? I said, yes, Emily. No. And we're in color now. And I told her that chocolate milk comes from chocolate cows, Kelly. So she believed me for a while. So I said, do you see those ones over there? That's where the chocolate milk comes from. It comes from the chocolate cows. Hey, listen, contentment. And what does it take for us to be content? What is it going to take for us to be content? The world has taught us not to be contented. You deserve a break today, don't you? That's why all of you leave here and go to McDonald's tonight, because you deserve a break today, right? And the thing of it is, is that think about how they teach you all these things in the world so that you're not satisfied, that you have to have, right? How many of you have devices in your house that are under the counter or sitting on top of the counter or they're in some cabinet or some closet and you have not used them in years, but you thought, when I get this, I get the Vegivita machine, man, and I'm going to tell you what, when I get that, I'm going to be one healthy guy because I got the Vegivita machine, Right? And you haven't used it since you got it. And the thing of it is, is what happens is the world teaches us to be discontented. They bring us to that place. Paul tells Timothy that godliness with contentment, they follow one another. And godliness is that piety. It's that faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. And here's what happens. That contentment is being sufficient and satisfied. Discontented in the Bible comes up in 1 Samuel 22 too, that the person becomes bitter and chafed and angry and annoyed and irritated and frustrated. And it has the idea of rubbing raw. I went to an amusement park, and uh, we got on a, one of the water rides first. And uh, so after we got on the water ride, I had on a pair of jeans. And after we get off the water ride, and I'm walking around the park for a while, <laughs> something began to happen. And it became very painful very quickly. And I thought, man, the inside of my legs started to rub raw. And that chafing became irritating. It was annoying. I, didn't, I, I could not think straight. I said, I have got to go figure out how I'm going to take this. And I, I didn't know what to do. So, I mean, I even went over to the emergency place and said, hey, you got some Vaseline? And I thought that would work. It did for a little bit, but it didn't help out all day long. And until those clothes dried and until I could get some moisture in there, it was just rubbing it raw. What he talks about here, that idea of discontentment, is that idea of just rubbing you raw. And it causes you to get to the place where you become chafed and angry and upset because you look around and you're thinking, they and I don't. Now, let me tell you what can happen to you, some of you ladies in the church. You can see how maybe a husband treats a wife and you think, I don't know why my husband doesn't treat me that way. Do you know what that's called? Covetousness. Some of you men can look at some of the ladies and say, you know what, I don't know why my wife doesn't treat me like she treats him. And what are you doing? Hmm? You're getting to the place where you're starting to do something. 
And the challenge for us is, is to be careful with this. Therefore, a godly person who will be a person of contentment, all the possessions of this world are unimportant, but providing God providing you with the, even the basic needs will provide the believer with a heart of what I call satisfaction. So here's the idea. How are you doing in the area of contentment in your faith? So if you were to just look at your faith and you'd say, is my faith a content faith or is it a wandering faith? Am I looking around and I see what everybody else has or has obtained or has or has possessed or this husband or that wife or these kids or those kids and I'm looking at this and looking at that and I'm walking around or do I have a faith of contentment? <laughs> do I have a faith of contentment? John 4, 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Uh, he said, listen, what I give you, you won't thirst anymore. I, I believe it goes beyond salvation. I believe it's this idea. When I look around, I'm not thirsting for what other people have. God is my satisfaction. Amen. I'm not thirsting for what's out there. He says then in John 6, 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And I think it goes beyond just that idea of salvation. I think it has the idea that you're not going to be out there looking around at what everybody else is having. You're saying, well, wait a minute. Why is Dale buying those big old steaks and I'm having to eat bologna? Huh? By the way, I like bologna sandwiches, fried bologna. Anybody with me? I love fried bologna sandwiches. Anybody like fried bologna sandwiches? Like a thick slice of, you know, German bologna and, and you fry it up. Anybody else here around there like this kind of stuff? Man, I love fried German bologna, man. And I'll tell you, you just slice it real thick and you crisp it up on both sides and throw, throw a slice of American cheese and toast and put some mustard on that. And I'm sad. See, I'm telling you, my wife goes, you're nuts. You'd eat beans and bologna? I said, yeah, sure. Beans and bologna don't bother me. The thing of it is, is that we become so discontented, don't we? And we look around and we see what others have. And Jesus said, hey, wait a minute. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. He said in John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. <laughs> There's something out there, isn't there, that he gives to us. And so we're not looking. We're not seeking. We're not wondering. We're not becoming discontented. And then he says in this do not wander, do not drift away, stay contented, and let your faith really have a strong faith. And not a wandering faith, not a discontented faith, but a faith that is strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, I believe when you get to that place, spiritual growth occurs. Material gain can lead to ungodly impulses and traps. How many of you believe that? I believe that material gain can lead to ungodly impulses and traps. As I share this with you, he says right here in verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. That's some pretty powerful words, isn't it? When you look at what he's actually saying there, he said, let me tell you what can happen to you whenever, whenever you receive riches at times. He said, you fall into temptation. Now think of the language that's being used here. Now I didn't write this, Jesus Christ did, and he's trying to let this church know about how you can fall into temptation by wealth. And many are programmed today to believe that the accumulation of wealth is a true sign of success. We believe that. We believe that. If it's true, Jesus Christ was an absolute failure by today's standards. He was an absolute failure. And the thing is, is that we believe that monetary gain is success. How many believe that? Or how many know that people believe that today? That monetary gain is absolute success. That means what I possess indicates my success. 
And I want to challenge you with some thoughts. Speaking from a worldly point of view, that may well be. However, the Lord teaches some strong lessons showing us how wealth can lead you into a trap. Now, when you read this verse, consider the language Paul uses to warn Timothy in the church. Notice the word that he says, but they that will be rich fall. You ought to underline that in your Bible. They that will be rich fall. Now, where do they fall? They fall into temptation. That word fall is to be entrapped by or to be overwhelmed with. They become overwhelmed with the wealth. And and, in Psalm 141.10, he said, let the wicked fall into their own nets. (laughs) And the thing is, is that that's what can happen to us. And by the way, wealth is not wrong. It's the attitude and the spirit of the heart that possesses it. Amen? And that's what he's really driving at here. It's not wrong to have wealth. It's what your attitude and spirit about the wealth is. And he says what it causes is some to become entrapped, and he uses the word temptation. And so this is evil solicitation. It has that idea in this particular case. And they're pulled away. They're solicited by what they own or what they possess. Then he uses the word snare. And he says, and a snare. And that word snare is a trap. It's like a noose or a trick. Uh, when Connor and I would go out in the woods, he knew how to set these little traps where he would take a string and he would lay it there. And if he wanted to catch a squirrel and he'd put something in there, and when that squirrel would come up and it leaned down, that stick would pop up like this and put a noose around that squirrel's neck. You say, that's terrible. No, he would eat the squirrels, so it wasn't that bad. He ate the meat, amen? Now, I don't care for mice with long tails, but he did. And the thing is, is that the noose would wrap around us. It wasn't aware of it. It wasn't aware of the trap that was there, the snare. What he says in Psalm 91.3, and think about this, surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. Who does that for us? God does, doesn't he? Godliness with what? Contentment, right? He's talking about wealth here, and he says this, and from the noisome pestilence, he can do this. He said in Psalm 124.7, our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we are escaped. God says, listen, I've given you an out. But the thing of it is, is we allow ourselves to get trapped by maintaining wealth. And then he uses words like this. Not only fall and temptation, snare, he says foolish and hurtful. He uses two words here. He says, and into many foolish and hurtful lust, two kinds of lust. He talks about a hurtful lust and he talks about a foolish lust. And what that is, is when he's talking about foolishness, that's unintelligent, by the way. (laughs) Unintelligent lust. (laughs) And when he talks about it, it's senseless, it's unwise, is what he's talking about. In Job 5.2, for wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. Amen? He's talking about that foolish person. Then he's talking about hurtful, that's injurious, that's harmful. And what is he talking about? He's talking about lust. And when we think about lust, we often have uh, uh, some some sort of uh, uh, promiscuity in our mind, but it's not always that. It can be lusting after anything. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an individual, and it doesn't have to be immoral in that sense, but it's immoral altogether. And the reality is, is that he said it's foolish and hurtful, it's senseless, it's injurious, it's harmful, a longing after or a desire for especially those things which are forbidden. Hurtful, injurious, foolish, lust. In 1 John 2, 16 and 17, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father. <laughs> it's not of the Father. And so he goes on and he says, but, uh, but is of the world, and the world perish, uh, passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God, and we just heard it tonight, 
shall abide for how long? Forever. And I wanted to challenge you with this thought in your mind. What's my faith like? Is my faith based upon what I possess? My accumulation of wealth? And I'm okay because I own, possess, hold value in that more than I do? Is my faith a wandering faith? Is it a faith of contentment? And then he says this. Notice these words. He said these, this fallen to this temptation, this snare, these foolish and hurtful lusts. Now notice this. Drown men in destruction. That's powerful words, isn't it? What does it do? It drowns men in destruction and perdition. And he says that drown in destruction, that's to plunge into or to sink and destroy punishment or death. In Matthew 7, 13, enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And he talks about them plunging into that which is destructive. And he says, now listen to me, I didn't make this up. He said it is that idea of obtaining wealth, riches, causes men to go down this path because they're not prepared for how to handle it. And when you look at this, he brings up the idea of perdition, lost physically, spiritually, eternally. It's damnable waste, corrupt and wicked. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Who's he talking about? So when he uses the word perdition, he uses it in relationship to Satan, the Antichrist. <laughs> and he says that men fall into perdition. Spiritually wicked things because of this richness in material gain. So I think it's evident that wealth can cause many to drift away from their faith. And the words used of the Lord to describe what can happen shows that wealth can lead a man into what I consider a downward spiral, a spiritual downward spiral. Because they're not really still consulting with God with what to do with what he's given them. And so what you've obtained, what God has given you and what you possess, are you consulting with the Father and saying, Lord, I've received this, I have this, and what shall I do with this? And he's given it to you. Now, do not allow what you possess to have control over you. You know, a lot of us say, and I'm not letting anything control me, but some of us will let our 401k plan control us. Some of us will let what we possess control us. Or even the thought of the loss of that possession control us. Am I right? The, the, even the thought that it may not be there anymore controls us. So we're going to do whatever it takes, not necessarily consulting God, not being uh, strong in my faith in those times, but just saying, you know what? That's controlling you. <laughs> and so it has a hold on you. So when you think about this, don't let it cause you to drift away from your faith or to pursue or the pursuit of those material items to pull you away from God. Much of what the world tells us success can lead to many what I call impulses, traps, snares. It can lead us down that path, and those are of the devil. Wealth can lead to many heartaches. So how does he end this? He said, for the love of money is the root of all evil. How many of you have heard at least one message on that? One message in your lifetime, amen? At least one, right? And they get on that, but watch this now. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Money and sorrows, wealth can lead to many heartaches. 
And money is a useful tool, and I believe it's used to do some great things even in the ministry. Uh, and the pursuit to obtain it or to maintain it, uh, the focus continually on leading me down that path of what I own, what I possess, how I gain it, how much I gain, all of that stuff. Sometimes that just leads to a path of sorrows. Because it says right here that, that, that they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Not just one or two, but a lot. Heaviness of heart, burdensome. This speaks specifically of evil when our heart is set on having the, uh, an obsession with money. I think it's described as a root of all evil when our focus about money is wrong. I, I uh, was helping to pull weeds, and you know, when you're pulling weeds, sometimes it's nice. How many of you like to just pull those weeds that are just close to the surface? You reach down, you pull out, and you go, hey, that was great. <laughs> root and all just came out. How many of you like to have to take a shovel, go out there and dig about two, three, four, five, six, seven inches down to get to the root of the problem. It's hard, isn't it? You got to dig way down in there to get to it. And it can become very burdensome, can it not? So when I start to see those weeds, it might be wise to start plucking them out and getting rid of them right away. Would you agree? Because if I let them really start to take root, guess what starts to happen? It begins to destroy a lot around it. The roots got so bad when we were in Colonial Beach at our first building, our old building. They got so bad. Listen to this. The roots were so strong, they started to grow up underneath the concrete and busted up through the carpet in the auditorium. That's how strong the roots got. Guess how much it was to take care of that problem at that point, right? And so you're thinking, how in the world do we get it out of it? Now, here's the thing. When we figured it out, it was halfway down the auditorium that the root had made its way in there. Many of the men through the years said, ah, don't worry about it, it's no problem, it won't be a problem, don't worry about it, it ain't no big deal, it ain't no big deal, it ain't no big deal. At the end of 13 years, it was a big deal. In fact, I walked in the auditorium, I said, is that not a tree growing in our auditorium? <laughs> Busted right up through the concrete. I think it had taken root, hadn't it? When you think about this for just a moment, when something takes root, and here it's meaning deep root, not just a surface root, the weed can be pulled up easily when it's on the surface. But listen, when it's deep, it leads to more and more poor actions and more poor results. It causes more work to get rid of it. it. causes more heaviness and heartache and burdensome. And when there is a spirit of covetousness toward money, it will cause you to wander, making big mistakes about the purpose and the use of that material gain. So the Lord uses money to help with the ministry, and all that we possess is not our own doing, but the Lord has given it to us. Therefore, we should consult with him before it's even gained or used. What do we do with this, Lord? What do we do with what you've given us? Now, the idea is, is to err is to lead astray and to be seduced by in. In other words, you're being persuaded or enticed and taken advantage of by what you've gained, gaining, or trying to maintain. And Paul started warning Timothy. He said, be careful as he taught this Old Testament thought. And here's what he taught him. An Old Testament idea of 23.8 in Exodus. He said, thou shalt take no gift, for the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. <coughs> he told Timothy, be careful about what people are giving you. Be careful, because it can blind you. Be careful. And as much as we don't like to think it sometimes, people want to be very political at times after they've done something. And the reality is, as he's warning Timothy, he said, hey, be very careful about that. Don't be blinded by the gift. 
Coveting money can bring heavy grief and heartaches. That brings in deep problems. It can penetrate deep into the soul. And we don't understand that. We think, give it to me and let me try it for a while. And it tells us the love of money pierced themselves through. It brought great pain of consciousness and led to disappointment and emptiness. No value. Things that had no value now. How many of you have stuff in your garage or in your barn or somewhere and you think, I remember when that was important. <laughs> and I had to have that. And it was of great value and it was of great importance. And what is its use now? Of no use, of no importance, of no value to me. And that's what God's talking about here. He said, when, when, when that money, that root of all evil really takes hold and you covet that stuff, it can pierce you through with many sorrows. And if we are to allow the spiritual to pierce the soul and not the material, and then what I mean by that is we're heeding to the word of God rather than the ways of the world. <laughs> we're heeding to the word instead of the world. We'll think a little bit differently about things. Let me give you this verse, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing. There it is. <laughs> Same word, only they were pierced through with many sorrows. And here you're being pierced through with the word of God. Piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and the discerners of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's breaking through, isn't he? Or we're allowing money to pierce us through with many sorrows. He tells us, Listen, you need to go to the Lord and make sure my heart's properly set on what I possess. <laughs> make sure that my mind is properly set on what I own, what I gain, what I'm gaining, what I'm trying to maintain, that my heart is properly set on that. And I'll give you this verse, and I'll finish with this tonight. Write down Colossians 3, 1 and 2. And I pray tonight that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the Bible says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And he says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. You know, there's a verse here. My mom used to say this to us when we were little. Only she had her own version of it. The Bible says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Mom used to say, I brought you into this world, and I could take you out. That was her version of it. Now, the thing of it is, is what did we really bring with us? Nothing. And what did God say we're going to take out with us? Nothing. Why then set our affections on things of the earth and not on things above? Why not think about godliness as being something that I'm contented with, knowing that it has eternal benefits? Why don't we think about our own? possessions, our money, what we have, what God has given to us. Why don't we think about it from an eternal perspective rather than right now, the material? So, as you think about your faith tonight, do not allow your faith to err because of what you possess, because of what you own, because of what you have. And he says in this passage, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So, when you look at your faith, how godly is your faith? Let's pray.